Well, tonight we're going to return to our study of From Victim to Victor. And in part number one, we talked about the edge. Psalm 107, verses 26 and 27. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. In part one, how we started this series is thinking about the the truth that at times this life will push you to the limit, right to that edge. And in part two, we talked about the enemy. And that was Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now we live a lifelong battle between feeding and now the sinful flesh versus following the Holy Spirit faithfully. And what we said along the way was to adopt a victim's mindset is to abandon the manifestation of victory. Because a victim's mindset will cater to your flesh and it will crush your spirit. That leads us into part three. Tonight we're going to start considering the matter of the error. So turn with me to Luke chapter number four. Luke chapter number four. We're going to read some scripture here in just a bit. Actually have two places uh, that we're going to look. I don't know if we're going to get to that second place tonight or if we'll uh, hold that until next week. But as the Lord leads, we'll go tonight. So Luke chapter number four. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this evening. Father, again, we love you, and we thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for these who've come out. Lord, we thank you for those who are watching remotely. We uh, know that there are are many in our church family that are uh, not feeling well this evening, and some uh, that have other uh, things going on. Lord, I pray that you'd work in every life as only you can. Help us tonight from your word. Help us as we consider this matter of victory. So we consider uh, these errors that so often we, uh, Lord, we make and we don't even think about it. And I pray tonight that you'll help us uh, from the truth of your word. Bless our time together. Be with our prayer requests. Time to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to think about when we talk about this matter of the error. If you and I are unable to rightly identify the edge and the enemy. Our attitude will incorrectly shift and our actions will suffer as a result. This is the error that we must guard against. It is so vital for you and I to understand when we come to that place uh, that is the edge. And oftentimes, uh, we don't realize it in and of ourselves, and we need some folks often will come along and uh, will recognize something is just not quite what it needs to be. Um, and maybe you would, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this thought just hit me, and it's like, okay, how, how do I frame this? But oftentimes in our lives, we come to a place where we, uh, where the problems of life have, have just sort of settled upon us and the different burdens and the different cares. And before you know it, your attitude has suffered, your actions have suffered, and you don't even necessarily realize that you're in that place. There have been times 
in, in my life uh, specifically uh, where just going along through the everyday uh, functions of life and, and doing the things that needed to be done and just not realize that the batteries are drained, so to speak. And then along comes something that is like a, a drink of cool water, and you're like, well, I didn't even realize uh, that I was in that place. It might be a person that says it. It might be just something uh, that happens. But we need to be able to rightly identify this place we call the edge, and we need to rightly identify the enemy. And oftentimes we make mistakes. We will uh, blame certain things or certain people or certain times for things and we'll say they are the cause of this when in all actuality that's not the root. It's just a, a symptom. It's just a struggle along the way. So there are a couple biblical accounts that I want us to look at and they mesh together. One of them's in the New Testament, one of them's in the Old Testament, and we're going to see all three of these elements in every account, in, in both of these. We'll see the edge, we'll see the enemy, we'll see the error. And then we'll consider some identifying truths and some traits uh, to which we can use for improvement. So Luke chapter number 4, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture because we need to see uh, this in its entirety this evening. So Luke chapter number 4, look with me at verse 14. Luke chapter number 4 and verse 14. Now we know what happens from verse 1 through verse 13. Uh, Jesus has been baptized. He's been led of the Spirit into the wilderness. He has been tempted by the devil. Uh, he has, uh, uh, I will say, struggled through that. Uh, it says that, you know, that he had been weakened through that. But of course, uh, he always, always maintained his impeccable character. He used the Word of God as a defense. The devil leaves him. The angels come and minister to him. And then verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So there's a, that's great things happening here uh, in the life of Christ as he begins his public ministry. But then we come to verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say to them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, 
when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So verses 14 through 30, uh, uh, quite a, a large portion of Scripture there. Uh, but I want us to see there, there's an error that takes place here. And uh, it doesn't take long to see it, but we're going to take some time. And I, I want us to, as we're thinking about from victim to victor, I want you to see that rather than trust Jesus and His Word, these people chose to refuse the truth and they tried to throw Him away. Notice with me uh, these three things. There was victory available. We see the power of the Spirit in verse 14 where the Bible says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's power uh, that enables now the victory. But not only that, there's the preaching of Scripture uh, that we see from Jesus in verses 17 through 19. And it says that He opened uh, the book of the prophet, which we would say Isaiah, and He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Those are all good things. Those are all necessary things. And now Jesus, He opens up the Scripture and He preaches. And you would find these verses in Isaiah chapter 61. And they're the first two verses of the chapter. So we see there's victory available. There's the power of the Spirit There's the preaching of the Scripture. But the third one, there's the proof of the Savior. Verse 21. And He began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. So here we come to the point where everyone had been looking forward to this prophecy of Isaiah. And Jesus said, I'm Him. I'm the Savior. And here I am to do this work. So there was victory available for these people, but I want you to see the awful mindset that they had. There was the doubt of his person in verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Very interesting question there. They didn't ask, is this the Son of God? They didn't ask, is this indeed the Messiah? They said, isn't this Joseph's son? That carpenter guy that lives down the street? Isn't that his kid that's saying this? So there was a doubt of his person. There was a demand of his provision. He said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Notice what it says. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So there was a doubt of 
that he was who he said he was. There was now a demand that he would do a certain thing. But look at verse 24. He said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. There was a denial now of his plan. So we see all of the elements that we need for victory here in this setting. There is the power of the Spirit. There is the preaching of the Scripture. There is the proof of the Savior. But on the other hand, the people now, doubt, they doubt His person. They demand His provision. They're denying His plan. And I want you to see what we find as a result. So number one is this. We see the effect. When victory is available and you have the wrong mindset, the effect is, verse 28, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, verse 29, and rose up. Instead of trusting what they had heard, what they had seen by faith, they were turned by their own feelings. This victim's mindset caused them to be led by their emotions. They were filled with wrath and rose up. It drove them to do something. They were not looking for Jesus to help. They were looking for Jesus to make them happy. Verse 23, Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here. Hey, hey, uh, we, we heard that you did this over there. Now you have to do that here. Now, you know as well as I know tonight that God knows what we need. And the way that He works is not a result of our forcing Him to meet our wants, but it's a faith that God will, that He can and He will supply our needs. They didn't have that thought. They were turned by their own feelings. And that was the effect. Number two, notice with me the edge. The edge. Verse 29. The brow of the hill whereon their city was built. Now I find this interesting. The brow of the hill whereon their city was built. Notice that this is a place, this is the place where all the drama dwelt. The place where bad decisions were multiplied. And if you look at the verse, you'll see they made their home at the edge. They chose to build there. They chose to stay there. And I want us to know this is a terrible place to live. But they weren't willing to leave. And they weren't wanting to change. So there's the edge. Number three is the enemy. The enemy. Verse 29 goes on to say, they thrust him out of the city and led him. They thrust him out of the city and led him. They turned the true answer into their terrible adversary. Was Jesus their enemy? No. But they saw him as their enemy. Jesus came to be helpful. And they claimed he was harmful. Verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Hey, Jesus, you either do what we want or we'll do away with you entirely. Now, how many people live by that mindset today? God, unless you do what I tell you to do, 
I have no use for you. Number four, notice the error in verse 29, that they might cast him down headlong. Now, now you have to see this. Jesus has come out of the wilderness. He begins his public ministry. He comes back to his hometown. He reads the scripture. He says, that's me. Here I am this day. Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? They see him, they hear him. And the result is they get so angry that they take him up to the top of the hill and they want to throw him down. It says that they might cast him down headlong so that they, they drop him on his head from that great height. You say, what's the, what's going to be the result of that? Death. They tried dealing with their trouble by destroying the truth. Now, you, you have to notice this. Jesus helped others in the past. It, we read that in verses 14 and 15. It says that He went in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. There went out a fame of Him through the region all about. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And even they say, you know, we, we heard what you did in Capernaum and you need to do that same thing here. So it was, a, it was of a truth that He had helped others in the past. But these people didn't see how Jesus could help them in the present. So they decide to act in such a way to destroy any opportunity for Jesus to help anyone in the future. You, you have to see that. Jesus had helped people. He comes to the town. They don't like what He has to say. So they're like, well, we're going to put an end to, the, to Him. Well, if they put an end to Him, who else is He going to be able to help? Nobody. Do, do you see the error there? I want you to know tonight, people who refuse help when they are hurting often hinder others from receiving help in their midst. Look at verse 30. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. He was there to help. They saw him as a hurt. Now look back to verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus the prophet. That's Elisha. And none of them was cleansed. There were many lepers. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Turn with me back to Second Kings chapter number 5. Second Kings chapter number 5. So I want you to see the same error here is spoken of by Jesus. Instead of trusting in faith, there were many who turned away foolishly. In fact, even Naaman himself almost made the same error. Second Kings chapter 5, look with me at verse 1. I'm going to read quite a bit again. Second Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. <clears throat> now Naaman, captain of the host of the king, of Syria. So he's an influential guy. He's a powerful guy. Captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. 
He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. I find it interesting the way that the story was shortened here. Thus and thus. He didn't go back through it again, just thus and thus. Said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed. Did I mention Naaman was a pretty powerful man? He had some influence. He had integrity. He had honor. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. <clears throat> we don't have any. You've, you've heard this story probably a hundred times, if not more. But isn't it interesting that the little maid said, Would God my Lord were with the prophet. And the king sends him to who? The king. That's important. <coughs> Behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So now we got a misunderstanding. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door, the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times. Thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought. You want to know what gets us into the most trouble? Behold, I thought, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Woohoo! Let me just stop and say how often we get mad when God says He wants to work a certain way, He wants us to do a certain thing, and we say, Mm-mm, there are better ways to do this, God, than your way. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, Naaman, he's, he's fussing about the condition of the water in Israel, but he certainly went to Israel to try to find healing, didn't he? 
And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then he went, then went he down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. How about that? Now Naaman almost made a big boo-boo. Now again, let's go back and think about, I want you to keep thinking about Luke chapter number 4, because Jesus talks about Naaman in that passage of Scripture. And I want us to see the available victory, just like we saw in Luke chapter 4. We see it here in 2 Kings chapter 5. We see the power of God in verse 3, where the little maid says, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy, because of now the power of God. But then there's the plan of God, and that's at the beginning of verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan, Seven times. It's not just the power of God and the plan of God. Notice the promise of God. And thy flesh shall come again to thee. Verse 10. And thou shalt be clean. So we have the power of God. It's That power of God has been given to the prophet. Now Naaman comes to the prophet and he hears the plan of God. And he hears the promise of God. And I want you to notice his awful victim's mindset. First, there was doubt of God's man in verse 11. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. He who? He, Elisha. Because remember, Elisha just sent his messenger out there. You say, why would Elisha do that? Because it wasn't Elisha's power. It was God's power. Do you understand that we have the wonderful privilege, and this isn't the the message, but it goes right in with it. We have the wonderful privilege to be messengers of God in this world. You say, but I don't have any power. Right, but God does, and His Word does. And my goodness, we get the opportunity to share that with others. Now you say, yeah, but uh, there's people that don't like the messenger. Well, Naaman didn't. He didn't like the messenger. He wanted Elisha out there. There was doubt of God's man. There was a demand of God's method. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand. Here's God's man. Here's the, the, the demand, the way he thought that God should work and God's man should work. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. That's not what the messenger said. But that's what he thought should happen. And then there was the denial of God's means. In verse 12, he says, Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? 
just a little side note here, how many uh, people we know in this world, it might even be you and I from time to time, that come to the Word of God and see the truth of the Word of God laid out in front of us, see exactly what the Word of God says and says, you know what, I think I can do it another way. That's an error. Now, look at the similar result that we saw in Luke chapter 4. So look at the effect, verse 12. So he turned and went away in a rage. Again, instead of trusting by faith, Naaman was turned by feelings. This victim's mindset caused him to be led by emotion. That's what drove him in his life was emotion, his feelings. But remember, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said Naaman was cleansed. So, and, and I know we've just read this, and I know that you know this, what made, but what made the difference between Naaman and the people of Nazareth? See, there was uh, the available victory in both settings, and there was awful victim's mindset in both settings. But what made the difference between Naaman and the people of Nazareth? Was God different? Was God's power different? Was God's word different? Were God's promises different? So what made the difference? How did Naaman go from victim to victor? And I want you to see the difference was this. It was faith over foolishness. It was faith over foolishness. Notice with me number two, the edge, the edge. Because see, Naaman, he went to the edge as well. Verse 13, and his servants came near and spake unto him. Here we find ourselves at the place of drama again. However, the difference this time, there was a voice of truth and reason that was heard and was heeded. In Luke chapter 4, the people stayed at the edge. Here, Naaman is willing to leave the drama behind. He was willing to lay his feelings aside and listen to the facts. Verse 13, this is what his servant said to him. If the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to thee, wash and be clean? Notice the drama built up when Naaman trusted his way over God's way. Naaman was mad because things weren't going the way he thought they should go. Ever been there? But there were some friends. I know that they're his servants. But I want you to see it. Servant or not, these were Naaman's friends. Say, how do you know? Because they were willing to speak the truth. The truth that he needed to hear in that moment. And thankfully, Naaman was willing to listen long enough to pull him from the edge. Verse 14 says, Then went he down. You and I will start moving from victim to victor when we're willing to listen to the truth and leave the edge. Notice with me the enemy, number 3, verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself. Now, again, we don't have time to make all of the parallels, but if you remember when Naaman said, "Mm, you know what, I thought, who, who 
Who did all of the work there? All Naaman had to do was stand there in that and just receive the poured out blessings of God. Now, don't get me wrong tonight. I'm not saying that God doesn't just bless us, you know, when, when he chooses to bless us. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I want you to see the difference here. Then went he down and dipped himself. See, God had already told him what to do. God had already told him what would happen when he did it. Now it was on Naaman to take responsibility and do it. Was God Naaman's enemy? No. Was Elisha Naaman's enemy? Mm -mm. Was Elisha's messenger Naaman's enemy? Mm -mm. Were were Naaman's servants Naaman's enemy? Mm -mm. So who then was Naaman's enemy? Easy. Naaman was. Who was Naaman's enemy? Naaman was. Specifically now, his own foolish pride. Now if you said tonight, well, who was Naaman's enemy? The devil. The devil didn't make him do that. That was his own flesh that drove that wrath up with him, that pride that caused him to stir up now in a rage. It was his pride that fueled his anger. It was his pride that fed his mind. It was his pride that drove him away. You say, now understand, I understand tonight that the devil is the father of lies. I understand that we do have an adversary that's walking about seeking whom he may devour. But friends, I fear that far too often we give the devil more credit than he's due. I imagine most days the devil's standing around going, man, he just blamed me for doing it. I had nothing to do with that. Now, did the devil tempt Adam and Eve? Of course he did. Does the devil tempt Jesus? Of course he did. Does the devil tempt you and me? Of course he does. But remember, there are three, three adversaries. The devil's one. The world's one. Oh, but that, uh, that last one, the flesh. And here in this instance, what we see is this Naaman looks at the world around him. He's a powerful man. He's an influential man. And now they're saying you got to go in this muddy water and that's how you're going to... Oh, they're just going to try and make fun of me here. I'm not going to do that. And he got mad. Why? Well, Elisha didn't even have the courtesy to come out here and speak to me himself. Doesn't he know who I am? It's pride. But I want you to see, as he drifted off into that error, his humble realization of the truth brought him down to dip himself. In Luke chapter number 4, I want you to see the difference. In Luke chapter number 4, the people turned the true answer into their terrible adversary. Jesus became their enemy. But here... Naaman was willing now to swallow his pride, so to speak, to face the truth and forsake the trouble. It's good to leave the edge, but you and I won't leave the edge until we listen to the truth and learn who the real enemy is. 
Naaman's enemy wasn't the king of Syria. Naaman's enemy wasn't the king of Israel. Naaman's enemy wasn't Elisha the prophet. And Naaman's enemy certainly wasn't God. But when Naaman bristled up against what God told him to do, Naaman's enemy was Naaman. Plain and simple. Now, Naaman could stand there and pout and whine and moan all he wanted to, but he was given clear instruction, clear direction, and all he had to do was follow it. Here's the thing. His servants were smart enough to see that. Now, now, and again, here is the value of good godly friends. Those that can see. You know, you know as well as I know, sometimes when we get way so close to the problem, we can't see anything. Nothing makes sense. We're irrational. And all of a sudden we start to, well, but I thought. And what we need is somebody to come along and say, hey, I've been praying for you and I've been noticing this and maybe and give us some truth and say, you know what? I, I didn't even see it. Thank you for saying that. I, 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 I missed it completely. That's Naaman. He, you notice he didn't fire his servants. He didn't send them away. He didn't uh, put out a, a job posting for new servant. No, no, no. What did he do? He listened to them. Why? Because they were right and they spoke the truth. Number four, let's look at the error. Let's look at the error. Verse 11 Here it is. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. I really want to just stop right there and get on faith healers for a bit, but I'll just just keep on going. I thought he'd come out and he'd look at me and he'd take off his jacket and breathe on me with his bad breath and throw his jacket on me and... I'd be healed. Well, why is he still wearing glasses? Anyway, does God still heal people? But he does it his way, does it in his time. For somebody to claim that they uh, possess all of that power in and of themselves, no. Naaman's pride was the enemy that pulled his emotions to the place of error. And if Naaman had stayed there, all he was going to see was a pitiful end. Where Naaman said, you know what? I thought that it was going to happen this way. And this angers me so much. You know what? I'm leaving. And it says in his rage, he he went away. He went away with the same leprosy that he came with. But I want you to notice this mindset. The only reason he went away with the leprosy that he came with is because everything didn't go the way he thought it should go. So it wasn't his fault that he was still a leper. Naaman had trusted his thinking more than the truth that he was told. He had been told, look, all you got to do is go down there in the Jordan River and dunk yourself seven times and you'll be clean. Not five, not six, not three, seven. Doesn't need eight, don't need ten, seven. Naaman trusted his thinking more than he trusted the truth he was told. But look what happened when he flipped that. Verse 14, Then went he down and dipped himself 
seven times in Jordan, watch this, according to the saying of the man of God. What did the man of God tell him? What God wanted him to know. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. How many verses could we just take out and do away with if when Elisha's servant, Elisha's messenger, had come out and said, Hey, Naaman, you got the leprosy. Here's what you do. Go down that river, dip seven times, you'll be healed of the leprosy. If Naaman had said, All right, and gone down and dipped... He wouldn't have had to be mad. He wouldn't have had to go away mad. He wouldn't have had to do all that different stuff. And you could just get rid of all those verses. You say, well, yeah, but Naaman went anyway. Yeah, and he learned a lesson in the process. He did. Wait a minute. You and I do the same thing. We do the same thing. Naaman saw the victory when he chose to do things God's way instead of Naaman's way. When Naaman abandoned his foolish thoughts and instead clung to trusting faith, I want you to see his perspective changed. This is why this error is so vital that you and I don't make. Look at verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, these three words, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman's rage turned into rejoicing and his wrath turned into worship when he allowed the truth to guide him away from the edge, the enemy, and the error. And when we are willing to listen to the truth, when we are willing to learn the truth, when we are willing to be led by the truth, watch as God turns our victim mindset into a victory march. In both Luke chapter 4 and 2 Kings chapter 5, we see people that were filled with wrath and rage because of error. Next week, we'll continue our look at the error. You can say part two if you want. But we're going to focus on the danger of chasing happiness. All right, let's pray this evening.